0: Pregnancy Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot in Berlin. My guest today has likely appeared in your home one way or another. After catapulting into an American Idol-propelled music career, she parlayed into a triple threat actress with leading roles in television, film, and on Broadway. Now, in the final stages of preparation for the role of a lifetime, motherhood. Catherine McPhee Foster, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. It's really nice to be here.
0: It's always great to talk to you. You have an incredible list of credits and accomplishments and my inquiring mind is so curious about how both your professional life and your personal life developed and blossomed and how you've managed to stay so level-headed, warm-hearted and down-to-earth through it all. It's pretty impressive. So I'm going to jump right in at the beginning. You grew up in Los Angeles. What was that like?
1: I did. I grew up in San Fernando Valley, specifically Van Nuys.
0: 818.
1: 818. And I didn't, even though, you know, people will say, oh, where are you from? I'll say Los Angeles. They're like, wow, that's unusual. And it is true. I think it's more common now, but definitely not as many born and raised Los Angeles people. And I felt like I could have been raised anywhere, like the Midwest, because I had a pretty normal childhood in terms of playing with the neighborhood kids and playing till the sun went down. And, um, you know, I didn't have like a Hollywood upbringing by any means. I had parents who were in the industry, but not a hollywood upbringing by any means
0: (laughs) when did you realize that entertainment might be of interest to you
1: well really young because my mom was and is still a voice teacher so we always had music in the house we had students coming in and out of the house she taught outside of in the back of the house so I, i would hear scales all day long of people taking voice lessons so it was just kind of part of my upbringing and then my dad was a producer but He did like a very small stint in actual television producing. And then he made a segue into more like industrial producing, which is always hard for me to explain, but like he would put on big events, corporate events, right? So he would produce and write them and pitch them to these companies. Like let's say Honda wanted to do a 20th anniversary for their newest car line or something. And he would be the guy who would put the proposals together and produce it and direct it and all that stuff. So, you know. Corporate shows, yeah, it's so but it's not kind of production. not mainstream Hollywood. Not
0: mainstream Hollywood, mainstream car. Yeah. <laughs> so I imagine it's kind of different. You know how when people have their bar mitzvah, they kind of read a portion from the Torah, and my father taught that to kids before their bar mitzvah. So that's what I grew up hearing. And one day, I just like came into the living room and started singing it, even though I'd never learned it, never been taught it. So that's kind of what is uh, popping in my head. Did you just like? pick up music from being around it all the time?
1: Right. It just becomes part of your everyday. People say, oh, so your mom gave you voice lessons and all that stuff. And I said, no, actually, she didn't give me voice lessons because I was too busy creating in my own bedroom, like playing with my dolls and singing and My mom was also too busy teaching other people and she really wasn't interested in being a stage mother, which is funny because if you go back and watch American Idol, like the episode that I was first revealed to the American public, I was 21 years old. I was so bubbly. It was quite obnoxious uh, (laughs) in my biased opinion, but we knew they wanted to do a hometown package on me. And they liked the idea that my mom was a voice teacher. And so like my mom and I kind of, it was mostly me, like concocted this whole story that my mom was, you know, very pushy and that she was always kind of priming me for this moment and that she was giving me voice lessons. We created this whole, I mean, you can go back and watch it. I don't recommend it, but, (laughs) but yeah, I mean like, yeah, exactly. It's embarrassing. I can't watch it, but I have a lot of grace for that girl. But yeah, like, you know, we created a story for the good sake of television. Right. But that's not really, my mom was super busy in her own thing and she was always available to help me for the high school musical auditions and things like that. But she by no means was pushing me to take voice lessons every day. And, you know, she kind of gave me a lot of freedom and my dad did too, but I was really lucky in that my parents never pressured me to be an academic because I wasn't, and I was never going to be, but also just schooling, right? They were not, ne- you have to go to school for college. You have to study this. You have to study that they just wanted me to do my best. So I was lucky in that way to have parents who were really supportive of what I wanted to do.
0: That's wonderful. But you must have realized that you were pretty good at singing if you were doing high school musicals.
1: Yeah, no, I did really young. Like, I think that one of the really big blessings in life that one can attain is knowing what they want to do from a very young age. And as an adult, I felt very grateful that I always had that sort of direction and drive from a very young age. Because I think it's a blessing when kids have that, whether it's tennis or a doctor or whatever, it helps keep a child focused. And I was just really lucky with that. I never kind of wavered in what I wanted to do. I didn't know exactly know how it was going to happen or which angle it was going to be. And I didn't certainly didn't think it would be American Idol or whatever would be like my way in. But nonetheless, I think that it was really important that kids kind of have an idea of what they want to do. And a lot of people don't figure it out till later. It's hard.
0: Yeah, sometimes much later. I mean, if you had some of the most successful people, I didn't figure out what they wanted to do until they were in their 40s. And you're not even there yet.
1: Right, exactly. I've had quite a few girlfriends of mine who I've watched, you know, in our 20s and our 30s, and they kind of still figuring things out. And It doesn't mean that they don't have find a road to success. It's just like a little bit more challenging straddling two different types of pathways or ideas of who they should be. And I think it's definitely something that I'm glad I didn't have to deal with. I've dealt with other things, but not that.
0: Yeah. My high school guidance counselor was baffled. I always was worried about the very perplexed look on his face whenever I go (laughs) chat with him. I'm like, you have no idea, do you? And it's like, it's a coin toss.
1: Well, okay. So you're probably one of the people that's like an exception to what I was talking about, because I think when I first met you, you were working on me. You were talking about your career path kind of, and it was like, weren't you an actor or a singer? (laughs) You were talking about how we both did theater.
0: Yeah, exactly. I was a theater major in college, but I always knew I wanted to do healthcare, but I was a theater major in college. I never really, you know, I studied screenwriting more than anything, but I did a lot of acting because I just loved being somebody else for a little while. Right. And comedy is like my survival mechanism. So
1: Right. I mean, I've listened to some of your podcasts and I don't even know if your viewers know how funny you are (laughs) because you're so dry and you're also so busy interviewing people. But when you told me you did like comedy stuff, I was like, no, I get it because you're so funny.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you. You know what? Fine. I will tell you this. Today, I was looking on the internet at some of your stuff while I was doing research and when I saw some of the videos of you singing, it just blew my mind. Your instrument, your voice oh. is the most magical, incredible thing. You're so soft-spoken and gentle and sweet. And then all of a sudden, your mouth opens up and this, I don't know what comes out of you. It's <laughs> filled with power and feeling and grace. You just get lost in it. It's like not a surprise at all that you have a very successful music career. It's, well, a, it's, mesmerizing, it's mesmerizing to what you sing. Thank you. But I skipped ahead. Going back to American Idol, how did you end up on American Idol?
1: I ended up on American Idol because I went to college to Boston Conservatory for three semesters. I never really was 100% a college person. I didn't think when I was a little kid, I want to go to college. I wanted to work as an actress or a singer, you know? So I left school early and I came back to LA, lived with my parents and just decided I wanted to get an agent and start auditioning. and. Fast forward to a year and a half being miserable back at home because I was back at home. None of my friends, everyone was away at college. And I was struggling because it's never as easy. The 19 version of yourself is like, I'm just going to leave college and start auditioning and, you know, make it. And it doesn't quite work out like that. It's much harder than your fantasies. And life is sort of just like that in general. And what my sort of break was, there was a show called Rock of Ages, which ended up becoming a Broadway show, which ended up becoming a movie. I did the very first production of it in Los Angeles. And it was this incredible cast, all these amazing dancers who were Major dancers for major artists like Justin Timberlake and Christina Aguilera and the hot artists of that time. And they were like, girl, you're singing in the back. You're singing those background vocals. You're amazing. You need to go on American Idol. And I was always like, oh, yeah, always thought about that, but that's not how I want to make it. And I think... In sort of my 19-year-old version of myself, like being depressed and not working like I wanted to, I was finally like, okay, I'll use American Idol as an opportunity to maybe see what happens. So it was like all those dancers who kind of pushed me to audition and I auditioned and I just kind of sailed through every round and I wasn't like cocky, but I was really confident. I thought that I would be a good story for her. I really looked at it as like a television show, which it was, and not so much a competition like... I would fit into a slot, right? That I would fit into, like, the little girl next door who they could transform and turn into a glamour queen and, you know, had the story of being born and raised in L.A., like, so close to Hollywood, but so far. And it kind of, you know, worked out exactly like that.
0: Was it hard work?
1: Oh, on Idol, it was totally hard work. It was emotionally hard. It was vocally really hard. I didn't have tons of performance experience, like, in terms of being a recording artist or a vocal pop artist on a stage is very different than playing a character like you know you probably understand this like saying lines as somebody else and being under the guise of a character it was totally different and I didn't really know like again I can't really go back and YouTube a lot of those performances people will say even to this day oh you were so great on American Idol and I remember that performance and the And I just cringe and I try to just accept the compliment, but because when I go back and watch it, I'm like, that's a different person. I didn't even recognize who that girl was. She's totally not in her own body. She has no experience. She's screeching the notes. Like I had very little, I could say vocal technique, you know, it was just like literally just shooting for the highest note. There was no strategy. And it was just trying to like get through week by week. And I guess in essence, like the strategy worked, the non-strategy but I can't really go back and watch it too much. It's like hard for me to look at.
0: Well, if I could take you back for one moment there at the very end, when, you know, you're waiting for the winner to be announced, what's going through your head at that moment?
1: I was so relieved that whole week leading up to it. I was so relieved that it was almost over and I had a pretty strong sense. I've always sort of prided myself on being someone who has a real strong sense of reality, and maybe it's a little bit to my detriment, like, you know, that's where I sometimes too modest or whatever, but I just had a feeling that I wasn't going to win. I knew that I would like do pretty well and get as far as I did, but being from a town in Los Angeles that doesn't really have like that hometown vibe, like I think Taylor who won was from Alabama. It's not the same kind of rally around a contestant. So I kind of was just relieved and excited to move on. And start a career whatever that was going to look like and it was a great journey but I was ready for it to be over
0: well wow, the career looks pretty good and not only I mean music you nailed music you could have just done music and had an extremely accomplished career already but you also jumped over into acting how did you make that
1: well the music thing you know for being like a I was a known artist because of Idol, but being an unknown artist, like I you know if you look back at record sales and stuff like that, I actually did really well. But in the standard of how like the expectation of what they thought American Idol contestants were doing and should be doing, I did okay. It wasn't like gangbusters. And what I found was that I didn't really love it. I think I wasn't as happy. I mean, I was only 20. I have a lot of grace for myself. I was 22 years old and all of a sudden you have handlers and managers and agents and lawyers and stuff like that and performances and business. I mean, there's so many things. And then having to do radio shows and rub elbows with radio programmers to try and get them to play or do a single. I found that whole game to be really unappealing. I didn't enjoy that. I didn't enjoy the game. So I got an amazing through that year, year and a half, two years coming off of Idol, amazing performance experiences that I didn't have. Like Idol kind of gave me the boot camp, but then the years following were really where I kind of really learned how to like hone in on a crowd and command a stage and things like that. And I went back to what I originally always thought I wanted to do, which was to be an actor. Like I really enjoyed going on auditions. And I would say like, if you want to be an actor, you have to kind of enjoy the struggle of it too. I enjoyed the challenge of learning five pages of dialogue the night before and meeting the director and all that stuff. So I auditioned for many, many years, obviously silently, like, especially back then there was no social media. We weren't Insta-storing things and saying like, Hey, I'm on my way to an audition. It was just, you sort of did it. And it wasn't until I got smash, which was in, I don't know what year that was, 2010. I don't even know. I'm so bad with the years that I came out, you know, and I was getting to sing, which was even better, but I came out as like a new actress, right? Because no one knew that that was something that I was focused on. So really like the acting thing is more of what I've wanted to do. And I love to sing and I love music, but I don't have a huge desire to, be this recording artist, and it's funny because I end up marrying like one of the biggest music producers in the biz. I mean, he doesn't want to really produce anymore, but you know, people might think, "Oh, that's why she married a music producer." No, it's like not that at all. We actually both love that neither of us are that driven by music anymore right now. I mean, oh, it's it, a
0: perfect match.
1: Yeah, it's perfect. Match,
0: <laughs> so. so you've done film, you've done television, you've done theater. Yeah, do you have a preference among those?
1: Yeah. I mean, television, film, and live theater are just completely different things. There's just no comparing it. But I did just finish one season of a sitcom. I did a pilot for a sitcom once several years ago that didn't get picked up, but this is my first like sitcom that I got the experience with the live audience and all that. Stuff. And so that is the art form that's closest to doing live theater Broadway. But yeah, I mean, when I was doing Scorpion, which was four seasons of procedural show on CBS... It's completely different than doing live. So it's like apples and oranges. It's so hard for me to, uh, I love doing Broadway, but I also love the structure of being on a television set every day. And I don't love the hours now that I'm like super happy, married and having a baby soon. So I think the sitcom schedule right now is really good for me.
0: (laughs) I came super close to accidentally seeing you in Waitress on Broadway. No way. Um, yeah, because we were there and- uh, Oh, for
1: Katie Lowe's, right? Yeah,
0: you know, we went into, uh actually went into interview Amy Schumer with my wife, and we hadn't been back to New York in forever, and I don't remember why we couldn't do Waitress, but Katie was like, yeah, you should come down, and then um we couldn't do it. No, okay. Back up. it wasn't for that we were in new york for something else with my girls i was just meeting my girls and she's like oh yeah they'll definitely not be too young for this and then i asked around and ah. other people like yeah they're definitely too young yeah. for this which is why uh I
1: yeah it. i don't know how old they are but
0: at the time they were <laughs> yeah it's young.
1: definitely risque uh, for sure Yeah, a little
0: risque for them they're pretty yeah so anyway i was sad that i missed it but uh speaking of my kids you know hootie My little ten year old is a giant McFan. He (laughs) he loves Scorpion. He found it and he's like, I want to watch this. And we always sort of screen whatever he's watching before he watches it. And it was sort of great. It became our go-to family um, entertainment. It worked for the adults, it worked for kids of all ages. And you know, I actually, after having a conversation with you and really learning how grueling that schedule can be for shooting a show like that, you know, he started a podcast, Hootie the Foodie, where he just interviews people. His favorite thing on the planet, which is food, mm-hmm. and he's a really hard worker. Does a lot of research, and he really puts together a good show. But sometimes he gets weak, and sometimes he gets lazy, and he sometimes he wonders, is it really supposed to be this much work? And then I told yeah. him about our conversation. He's like, "What? That just looks like fun." I'm like, yeah, "Yeah, it looks like fun.
1: It looks like fun until you're on the set and you don't realize that it's like 110 degrees in the desert." And you've been standing in the same marks for the same scene for six, seven hours. And you're still doing the same lines over and over again. But I mean, every show is different, right? So yeah. like, that was the kind of show that it was.
0: Yeah, but you've inspired him. And sometimes he looks to that and he's like, yeah, I'll, you know, I know I have to put in the hard work if I'm going to get a good result. Anyway, there's so much more to talk to you about. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back with Catherine Nickfee Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We are talking to Kat McPhee Foster. Okay, in 2019, you tied the knot with 16-time Grammy Award-winning songwriter and music producer David Foster. How did you meet?
1: Well, we met, going back to what we talked about earlier on American Idol, I was a young contestant, and every week we had a new mentor. And I remember calling my mom and saying, oh my gosh, you're never going to believe who's the guest mentors this week. It's so exciting because we had, I mean, it's season five. It was literally like the height of American Idol. We had huge ratings. We had amazing guests. One week was Steve Wonder, Rod Stewart. And so I was really excited about this week. It was Andrea Bocelli and there was a producer, David Foster. And I remember calling my mom and saying, oh my gosh, so exciting. Andrea Bocelli, I said, and a producer, David Foster, I don't know who that is. And she stopped me. And I remember her so specifically saying, Catherine, you know who David Foster is. (laughs) You've only been obsessed with like major artists that he's produced and written songs for. And so she went down the list. So it was even more thrilling when I realized. I was a fan of his work as a producer. I wasn't like a muso like that, where right? a lot of kids who love music will research like the musicians and the producers. I just cared about the singer. That was all I cared about was the song and the singer. So Celine Dion was my favorite, and he discovered Celine Dion, brought her here to America, and wrote the huge hit for Whitney Houston, and produced a bunch of the songs from Bodyguard soundtrack. Right. So, you know, he did the "I Will Always Love You" iconic songs. So. Anyway, that was my first time meeting him was on television. You can also YouTube that, but I don't recommend <laughs> it again.
0: <laughs> I'll add it to my list. Yeah.
1: Because she's very embarrassing and very bubbly. But <laughs> nonetheless, that was when we met and you know, it was thrilling. And that week I got ripped on American Idol because I sang David's song, I Have Nothing. And I actually agreed with Simon that I wasn't as good as I probably should have been. I was kind of screeching and stuff like that. But David came to my mom backstage and said, you know, I have to tell you that Simon was wrong and I watched the show and, you know, Kat did a great job or whatever. And then he got hired to produce my first single when I came off of American Idol, which was Summer of the Rainbow, because your first single would technically be a song that you were really known for on the show, which was Summer of the Rainbow. And so I went to his studio in Malibu. It was like this amazing studio with a huge lawn and... You know, it was Malibu and I drove my little old Honda Civic up to <laughs> his studio. My mom came and obviously for people who know who David Foster is and they know me, I'm not trying to skirt around the obvious. We have a huge age difference and there was, I mean, nothing like I was very, very young, but I just loved being in the studio with him. I loved getting to know him. I felt like a huge honor to work with him as it was like, it wasn't just something that, I mean, I I should have felt that I was very lucky to work with him, but he had such a way in the studio with people. I know I've shared that sentiment with other people. I've heard them talk about how great he is in the studio. And I also want to tell your viewers that I'm literally out of breath right now. (laughs) (laughs) This is part of pregnancy.
0: (laughs) This is you're you're in it. You're like very close to the end.
1: Very, very close. I mean, I'm technically four days away from my due date. So forgive me for your viewers. If I sound like a little bit out of breath, maybe I can just talk slower, but going back to where I was anyway, it was just a thrilling day. He recorded my vocals. He made me feel amazing. I think he even... Took me out to dinner with a group of people after we recorded, like the engineer and the people who were working in the studio. And it was just great. And then he started to use me as a singer on his charity events. And I traveled with him a lot. And uh, it's kind of a funny, maybe not funny to some people, but he became a really good friend he actually came to my first wedding my first <laughs> <laughs> and he was good friends with my then fiance and later became my husband and it was always just this like professional relationship but i think looking back i mean i know he he was definitely enamored with me uh looking back i was always taken with him and i just always felt so privileged to know him and be around him because he has a way of making people feel so good and so important and that's how he made me feel. And I know how that's how he makes a lot of people feel. So that's one of the many gifts that he has. And then we stayed in contact. I got smash, which was the you know Steven Spielberg produced show that made me move to New York. And we stayed friends through that. And he would text me and say, he was so proud of me because the show had a lot of heat around it. And we just stayed like in contact. And I mean, I can't tell you how many countless events that we did together along with other singers, of course, that he brought along, but yeah, it's a pretty crazy journey. And then when I was doing my third season of Scorpion, my sister was super pregnant and I wanted to take my mom and sister on like a girl weekend before she gave birth, like a month out or whatever. And so we drove to Palm Springs and I saw an Instagram from his daughter's Instagram, actually, because I followed all his daughters. I knew them from my early twenties and saw that he and his daughter were on their way to Palm Springs. And so I texted him like, Oh, I see you're on your way to Palm Springs. And he said, oh yeah, I'm here for the tennis match. I don't even know what it's called. It's like a big tennis match that happens every March, obviously not in the last year with COVID. But he said, "You know, if you guys want to come, come bring your sister, your mom. So my mom ends up getting like quite ill and she stays in the hotel. My sister and I go have a great night. There's like a Nobu restaurant in the tennis thing. I hadn't seen him in like a couple of years. He was so charming. And, you know, it was like a full on woman now at this point. And we were, flirty. And we went back to a friend's place with a bunch of people. There was food, dinner, drinks and dancing and stuff. And uh, my sister went back, she was super pregnant. She said, enjoy yourself. And the dynamic was like a huge shift for us. So <laughs> it was no longer like, you know, young 20 something year old girl, like not seeing him in that way. Nonetheless though, it took me a while to kind of come around, right. To like really want to have like a real serious relationship. Cause I was very concerned with, I was concerned with what like people would think. And also I just wasn't there yet either too. Like I had just still been, I'd been single for like the last year. So I was still in that kind of world and, and I'd known him for so long and I knew he really liked me, but I just didn't, uh, it took me a while. It took me, even though the press kind of like saw us at a dinner one night, you know, they, they wrote about like David and Catherine on a romantic dinner. And I was so freaked out because I was like, oh my God, we're not even together yet. We're just figuring this out. And it was already, we were dating, we were getting married. And, but I guess the press knew more than I did because we ended up getting married and now we're having a baby. So well, look at that. I yeah. mean, I
0: watched the uh, the documentary, the recent Netflix documentary about his life off the yeah. record. And there's a lot of fascinating elements about his career and, and about his personal life. And yeah. you could sort of tell, Like there's this, uh, I don't know, it's like this sweet inside and very personable and very magnetic inside that pops up, you know, once in a while and just like tell it like it is, this is how I feel, which is uh, something I think a lot of people are jealous of. Like we have feelings that we don't know how to get out and he just says, oh, this is what I feel like. But also when you look at all the people who he worked with that talk about him, you could just feel the warmth that they have been exposed to. That nurtured their growth, that kind of how he acted as an enzyme, a catalyst, uh, something, uh, the ability to kind of let them rise and give them what they needed to reach their potential. So it's really cool to see that. There is that big age gap between your 35 year age gap and your his, his fifth knot and he's your second knot. Did I get that Mm -hmm. right? And he's got a bunch of kids, like you mentioned, like walking into that element of the relationship with all the people on the tree, uh, forest.
1: Right. Well, I mean, I've heard David say like having mixed family is very challenging and he knows more than anybody. He tried to do it when his kids were young. And if you watch the documentary, it talks about a lot of these details, but for us, you know, not going like back into his, like how many times he's been married, how many times I've been married, the statistics show, like every time you do get remarried, your chances of success actually go down. Mm -hmm. And that's why after my first marriage and I knew I didn't want it. I mean, I was very confused when I didn't want to stay in the marriage. My then husband really like pushed therapy and, you know, he's really, really pushing for the relationship to stay together And it was actually the best thing that he could have and I could have done because it just gave me so much more clarity about myself and working out issues that, you know, were deep seated from my past and all that stuff. And it made me more prepared for the future. So I think that that's kind of where our dynamic, like where I met David there's so much difference between the generations in terms of how my generation deals with issues versus that generation, especially like the English Canadian way of being brought up, which is to sort of like not exactly deal with stuff, not deal with stuff head on. And I think that my generation is just a little bit different, or maybe I'm just a little bit different. So the way that we kind of approach things differently so that we're not part of another statistic is to really do the work, to really talk about things and like lay things out, make a map of potential pitfalls and how we're going to conquer the world and life together. And obviously there's always unforeseen things, right? Like in any marriage, any relationship, no matter what the age difference is, but to kind of have that foundation going into it is I think how we've chosen to walk through this differently so that we're Choosing each other in a very conscious way.
0: Yeah. One thing I will say is that when any little snippets of video that you see both of you together, you're both beaming with immense joy. And I I don't see the age difference. And I would say my little observation, it's just me, I could be off, is that you're kind of an older soul anyway. And he's kind of a youthful soul. uh, for Super
1: youthful. This is what his actually, his oldest daughter says, Amy, that, yeah, he's the young soul. And I'm, I mean, if you go back and watch your old version of myself, I'm definitely young and stuff like that, but soul wise. Yeah. I'm so much older and he's definitely younger. And he always says that, you know, eventually it's just going to, I mean, obviously there's crazy people on the social media, which we don't even care about, but every once in a while, it feels good to like, you know, give him the finger, but <laughs> for the most part, we really don't care. But he'll say every once in a while, you know, Eventually, we're just going to look normal to people. He used to say that early on. I think that was probably when I was still like not 100 percent buying into this whole <laughs> potential. It was a sales pitch. In the future, uh-huh. I mean, he was like, he he's always so cute. He's like, I really had to work hard for you. And I'm like, well, what did you expect? I was still very young, you know, and I was still it was a lot to think about. And I mean, there's such a stigma on. I mean, I get it. We all have like the ability to label things and to look at something for the way that it looks or face value and go like make a judgment. So I totally get the judgment initially, but things are never as they appear. Like things are never exactly as they appear. And I'm in love with our love story. And it's all that matters is that I'm in love with the love story, but it didn't just happen overnight. You know, I mean, we had a real journey and I had a real process and, you know, like, Breaking, not breaking up, because well, he thinks we were breaking up, and I was like, we weren't even together. <laughs> but like, definitely process where you know I really hurt him because I wasn't a hundred percent into the idea of it, and it just took me time. And but you know, like the perception of what people try to create, especially with women, like it's always the woman's fault, right? Like it's the woman who wants to be with the older man because he has money and he's had success and she wants this, that. I mean, it's like, and our story has been the complete opposite, right? But it doesn't matter because as long as you know the story and you're in love with your own story, that's what's important. And I actually find that for when I do post things on my social media, like most people are really amazing, right? Really? Which just shows you kind of like society wise, we're not always as bad as we think we are right like there's a lot more good people than there are sad lonely bitter mean people i like to believe that
0: yeah i believe that too it's just the polar people are very loud yes and the, uh, totally. the people who are less polar are pretty quiet
1: yeah so yeah. the
0: silent majority right anyway to be honest i'm not a music guy i think partially because of my face blindness i have never been able to connect a face to a, a song right and so I'm very musical I'm the cantor of our synagogue for example like and I hear music and I like it all I like all the different varieties and genres right. I never got into artists so I did not know until I met you and I, I hadn't even heard of David Foster and for you you were like uh, American Idol and that's Kind of like you'd see your name pop up here, there, and everywhere, yeah. but I didn't really know much about you. So seeing you on social media clips and also on little clips in the documentary, it's kind of weird. Cause if you say, okay, look, you're about to see this couple and they got this 35 year age difference and he's had this life and she said, you're going to think you're going to see two things that would never really fit together. And it's right. not, you see two people who are madly in love and just yeah. make perfect sense. You know, age is a number. Again, I think you're a mature soul and he's a youthful soul and you probably pull it even more out of each other. You pull yeah. more youthfulness out of him and he pulls more of that maturity out of you. It looks beautiful. And and I love that Great. love story too.
1: Thank you. I mean, listen, I was married once before and he was a really wonderful person. He's a really good person. And I was really lucky. I learned a lot of things from him. He'll never listen to this probably, <laughs> yeah, but I doubted it leading up to it. I doubted it during it. And you know, on paper, maybe it seemed like more appropriate or whatever. And there's not been one day, my husband had health issues, like actually the beginning of the pandemic had to have like surgery from an infection and all that stuff. And, you know, there was never one day that I ever doubted my decision to be with him. You know, even if we had an argument or whatever, I'm so crazy in love with him and so grateful, but it's not just like in love with him. I mean, I love, I loved being around him before we were even married. So that is such an important like if I could give advice to people who are thinking about getting married and actually someone did tell me this, my pastor, the pastor at a Christian church that I was going to at the time, his wife said, before I was getting married the first time, you have to be crazy about each other. Like, you know, you just have to really love being around each other and it can't just be just sexual and it can't just be just friends. It has to be like a combination of everything. And so, you know, it just took me longer to figure it out, you know?
0: it's an amazing beautiful love story Um, (laughs) and it's about to take on a new chapter because you guys are having a baby together let's take our last break and we'll be right back to find out about your pregnancy (laughs) and upcoming birth Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We are talking to Kat McPhee Foster. Well, with that background established in segments one and two, you know, you're pregnant now, you're due any second. Maybe we'll go backwards. How are you feeling now?
1: Literally any second. It's really interesting because, I mean, I know you hear this all the time, that women tell other women, oh my God, it's going to be like this. And it's going to be like that. And then you'll also hear women say, but really at the end of the day, Nobody really knows because everybody is different. Everybody experiences it differently, but I can't even believe it. And maybe it's because of you, (laughs) but the last few weeks I have felt, I mean, literally do in four days. I don't even feel like I'm nine months pregnant. I feel like I should be slumped in bed. And I mean, definitely have those nights where I ate too much and I'm like, oh my God, I can't breathe that well. And it's hard to turn left to right. I have those, but I would say for the most part, other than my ankles my feet and my calves sort of all being one unit, I feel really good. I don't feel like tired. I have tons of energy and I'm definitely wanting him to come. Like I'm having a boy by the time this comes out. I think people will know I'm having a boy. Uh, It'll be David's first son, which is really cool. It's something we get to share together that he's never experienced. He has all girls and I've obviously don't have any children. So for us, it's like even more special. This boy is going to be so spoiled of God. <laughs> um, <laughs> King David. But um yeah, I feel, um, this is a long answer, but I feel really good. And I felt worse two months ago. I was so uncomfortable two months ago, which was in sort of like middle of second trimester, end of second trimester. I was miserable during the nighttime, not during the day, but at night.
0: Well, I'm glad you're feeling good. I mean, I think some of it is you went into pregnancy really healthy to begin with. And, you know, and you're tall, which is also um, helpful. That's Um, true. And I guess you have a decent chiropractor. But the major Mm -hmm. thing is that you have like a great mental and physical, I think, healthy outlook on the whole thing. You worked out a lot and your body is just very healthy. And, you know, sometimes pregnancy is just crap. Even if you are healthy, it just affects different people in different ways. So I'm really glad that you're feeling great...
1: I mean I want to definitely be candid about like my journey because people have said some women say they love being pregnant and some women hate it and I feel like I have a healthy balance of I'm somewhere in the middle because I've had definitely nights and days where I've had love hate relationship I mean the first trimester was really hard for me and a lot of women share that I mean I was short of breath really early on I felt like <laughs> I would eat something like a normal big salad that I would normally eat and I felt as though I eaten three salads. I was so stuffed. It was really a weird transition and balance for me to figure out like the food stuff. And I can go more into that. Like I had a long history of having issues with food and body image and stuff like that. So there was a lot of challenges in that regard, but I'm so grateful to be at this very end stage where I feel really good. So
0: you predicted my question because according to uh, Dr. Google, you had eating issues as a teenager.
1: Yeah. My um eating disorder issues, I mean, it always starts with a diet. It's like diet equals death. And, but at what
0: age are you dieting
1: and why? Well, I was always like very thin little girl, thin kid. And my body changed so much during puberty. Like I was one of those kids that turned 13. And like one day I woke up and suddenly my boobs were huge. Like it just everything changed. My, my nose was like bigger than the rest of my face. Like, you know, <laughs> I was still in middle school. I was still going to an all girl school. Thank God for those two years before going into high school. But, you know, I was just like this really skinny athletic kid. And all of a sudden I was like, not quite as thin I couldn't eat like the burger with fries. It's just like the metabolism changed, the body changed. And so I was like really affected by that. And my mom, my dad was heavy a lot through my whole childhood. And at one point, the, all I remember is that like everybody was on Jenny Craig in the house. My sister, <laughs> my mom, and my dad. Love the food from Jenny Craig, by the way. <laughs> and- um, I love the I, jingle. What'd you say? Yeah, the, exactly. The jingles in our commercials. Yeah. I started restricting food. And that is like basically how kids, teenagers, people in general, just get themselves into trouble because you start itemizing foods. Like you put food in categories, like this is bad food. This is good food. This is a good day. This is a bad day. And the restricting turned into obsession with the food and turned into like binging on food. Right. So it was like the all or nothing mentality. Oh my God, there's a box of donuts here. I can't just have one. I have to have 10 of them because I can never have them again. And it created this like really unhealthy relationship. But what I will say is that because it turned into a bad pattern of bulimia when I was like 16, 17 years old, which I've been candid about in the past, that issue that I had, like my mom, the way she knew how to deal with it was supposed to get me a therapist, right? I mean, she never had any disorder, she didn't know anybody with any disorder. So she got me with a therapist and I spent my senior year of high school once a week driving on my own, being responsible, going to like meet with this woman who was amazing. And she remember she looked like Julia Roberts. So she was like so beautiful and she herself had been a recovered person from eating disorder. And so it was really like a great kind of introduction into taking control of your impulses and your you know, your issues, your dark side, your childhood issues, or whatever they are. And it didn't solve the problem, but it gave me the step towards self awareness. And I struggled with it on and off for quite a few years. And then I struggled with it up until I went on American Idol. And then I finally went into this program right before I went on American Idol so that I could like really just put that to rest. And I was really committed to it and had great people that you know, talk to me through food issues and dealing with fear foods. And it was, it was amazing. And it really changed my life and I'm really grateful for it, but what's interesting to bring it back to pregnancy is that when I got pregnant, I mean, I don't want to say through my twenties, I never dealt with any food stuff. Like it's something that I think if you have issues with food, it's always something that not always, but there are phases where it kind of comes back into your life and sort of haunts you. And then you get a hold of it again. Yeah, so if, it
0: never fully leaves your psyche. It's always well, sitting in the
1: background. Yeah. I mean, I think that experts believe there can be full recovery, but I think that it's not abnormal for, you know, for it to seep back in, in some regard, doesn't mean you're full blown, like back into being a bulimic or whatever, it, but it could also just be that like psychologically it's back in your brain and thinking about food all the time, which is not a normal thing. I am a foodie. So I think about food all the time. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> You and Hoodie both.
1: Yeah. I think about food <laughs> all the time, but it's a different thing than when it's like you're excited about what restaurant you're gonna go to because you're excited about the chef versus like, oh my god, I can't eat this. And if I eat this, then next week I'm gonna look like this for that. So um
0: it's different. It's like food anxiety. Yeah. But when people say that with that background, you know, I see a lot of people with that history, it's kind of a mixed bag because with pregnancy, that happens all over again, that 13 year old transition, all of a sudden you look in the mirror and everything's bigger.
1: Right. So that was interesting. Before we did this podcast, I was just trying to think of like, oh, well, what do I have to offer? Like, what do I have to talk about for Dr. Berlin's podcast? And what would people think that's interesting? And I guess that the biggest challenge for me through the pregnancy was really the body issue stuff, right? Like just suddenly came up in a way that hadn't been present in a long time. I struggled with my weight a lot on Scorpion the four years that I was on Scorpion, but it was because, like, you know, I think I was coming out of the divorce and starting a new relationship with the guy who was the lead on the show and the schedule was really hard. So that I understand, like, sort of why I was always up and down. But, you know, I have felt really stable in my life in the last, you know, four or five years. And my weight has been sort of like more consistent, but feeling like there was a relapse after getting pregnant was really shocking and upsetting and concerning for me because I was suddenly so obsessed with food starting from this first trimester. And I had such a distortion of the way that I looked and I mean, I look back at these pictures my husband was documenting like every day because he'd be like, take a picture of me now, am I showing? And I look back and I'm like, oh my God, why was I so hard on myself? My point in saying all this is that I had to actually reach out to, um, and this is like the self-awareness stuff. That's really important tools to have that I'm grateful that I have. I reached out to the psychiatrist who treated me when I was in program, like right before I did Idol to just like check in with him. And he had said to me that it's really common for women who have struggled with eating disorders in the past to have almost like a relapse in some sense when they enter pregnancy. And it made me feel like so much better Mm -hmm. um, that I wasn't, you know, alone in that, you know, headspace and, and yeah, it, it, by just like meeting with him and him talking me through it, it wasn't like he gave me a bottle of pills and said like, oh, here's your pills for anxiety. That's not what he did when he met with me, but he just sort of talked me through it and asked the questions and it got a lot better the second trimester, but I was very obsessed with food the first trimester and into the second trimester. And I think it was also because I was going back to film on the show on Netflix that I had started, obviously paused during the pandemic. But yeah, that was probably and has been the hardest part of pregnancy for me was just kind of feeling like I was relapsing in some capacity with my food issues.
0: Yeah, and and like I said earlier, I see that, pretty frequently with people of that history, but I think what you did is brilliant going back to who treated you originally and who helped you through it yeah. originally. And, you know, it's hard because it's a one, two punch. You all of a sudden have that same exact transition where you, you look right. in the mirror and everything's bigger. And then also you're very concentrated on food. A lot of people in the first trimester, right. you know, just feeling nauseous and vomiting, throwing up again. And then all of a sudden in the second trimester you have these cravings. And right. so it makes sense that it would come back. I never knew until I looked it up today that you even struggled with those things. And, um, you know, now at the end of pregnancy, you're as big as you're going to get
1: and um, you seem very
0: comfortable and happy with your body.
1: I've gained like probably a normal 40 pounds. Like, I mean, they say, even some doctors say 25 to 30 pounds, whatever, but I'm like, it's cool if I'm 40 pounds, like I can deal with that 40 pounds over. And I have a piece that I didn't have in the first trimester and the second trimester. I've also, you know, time is always giving you perspective, right? Like that doesn't in the moment doesn't always give you. So looking back at pictures and going like cat, talking yourself through it and going like cat, don't be so hard on yourself. You looked great. Like you're doing great. And really sitting back with someone who I had a long history with and who sort of knew my history was really important for me to kind of ground me and say like, you're doing okay. That's totally normal. Cause I was, I mean, some women are really ravenous. The second trimester, I was really ravenous the first trimester. I was just oh, like, really? yeah, that must've been that placenta, like just took, <laughs> like was wow. taking everything from me. So I would get so hungry. Like I was standing in that. We were in Canada. We had to quarantine for 14 days, but we were allowed to go cause my husband's Canadian to just to get out of LA from this whole pandemic thing. But when we were finally able to come out of the 14 day quarantine, you know, we would like visit some people. I mean, it was very limited opening, but I would have to bring snacks with me everywhere because the food hunger would come on so quickly in your brain. You're like, is this just like the eating disorder version of me or is this actually my body, you know, it's just suddenly like the cues felt really different and I didn't know how to interpret them. And then when I did eat, I would feel really full and it was just very confusing. It was really confusing. It, it made someone who felt like I had it kind of figured out the food issues suddenly, like I didn't have any of it figured out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that you shared that because I know it affects a lot of people and it affects a lot more people than the number of people who talk about it. People are very quiet about it and, you know, generally beneath the surface suffering. So, you know, again, I think it's brilliant that you got help and you were able to sort of differentiate between eating disorder cat and pregnant cat.
1: Yeah. Again, I wasn't like full blown, like relapsed or whatever, but it was definitely a feeling like I was overeating and then I had that stuffed feeling where I couldn't breathe and, And I couldn't figure out if I was just stuffed feeling because there was a new thing in my body that was making me feel stuffed. Or if I was actually eating too much food, I was eating really fast. Um, and there's just a lot of anxiety. And so you're like, is the anxiety around food hormonal based, or is it really just like, you know, is it coming from an eating disorder based? Right. Like it's like, it couldn't determine the two. And, um, So who knows what it was, but I weathered it and I'm just like really grateful. I'm at the end of it that I feel this good and that I look in the mirror and I'm like, yeah, my legs, my thighs, my arms are a little bit thicker, but I'm okay with it. You know, I'm I'm like really okay with it. And I'm proud of myself that it's not, you know, I didn't gain 50 or 60 pounds or 70 pounds. I mean, by the way, some people do. and. They're fine. (laughs) You know,
0: the 25 to 35 is an average, but a lot of people gain less. And a lot of people gain more than that. And, you know, there's healthy weight gain and there's unhealthy weight gain, even during pregnancy. So everyone's different. Nobody should take their number and and judge themselves. It's in context with a lot of other factors.
1: Yeah, the Um, number for me was appropriate, right?
0: So... Absolutely. And with that said, uh, even though you and David aren't really producing music together, you are about to produce a baby any minute now. And uh, as we keep saying, but it's true, like we were like, maybe we'll record this today, or maybe you'll have had the baby. I know. I know. <laughs> what have you done to get ready for birth?
1: Well, you've been really helpful because another thing that I was observing about myself is leading up to these last few weeks, I was very fearful in the weeks leading up to my final week of just like, what's the birth gonna be like? And I've always had this fantasy of wanting to have a natural childbirth. My mom did it natural and my mom like, makes everything seem like, you know, just my mom's so positive. How do you
0: define natural?
1: like a uh, vaginal meaning vaginal birth with no epidural. That's okay. I, no,
0: okay. No drugs. Everybody has different definitions. So you're. Oh, is,
1: right. Cause some people say vaginal, but then you'll still have an epidural, right?
0: Yeah. And it's, there's no like clearly defined term. So for you, you pictured an unmedicated birth.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's a little bit of a romantic. I don't know why <laughs> some people might say, why do you think of that as a romantic idea? I don't know. I just kind of. I don't know. It's just like the same way I had a romantic idea of like how you conceive and it's not necessarily like nearly as romantic for everybody. You know, sometimes it's very technical. And so anyway, nonetheless, that is sort of how I always thought of it. But then the whole pregnancy, I've been like, oh no, I'm definitely having an epidural. And the thing that I have, again, I pride myself on being someone who's very realistic. So the thing I've told myself is like, you don't really have to have such a set in stone plan. And I've gotten much more bringing you back into it. I've talked about wanting to have a natural childbirth and I'm open to it, but I'm also open to laboring as long as I can. And if I can't take it anymore, I'll take an epidural and I'm going to be okay with that, right? Like I'm not going to punish myself or feel like I'm less than a woman because I had to take an epidural or I'm more of a woman because I didn't get an epidural and rub it in women's faces, you know, but I have an open plan and I'm not as nervous. Like you were working on my body the first time and i sort of tensed up you were working on something and i was like ah oh, oh, oh. and you just said like breathe into it and you told me you gave me this confidence like that i was going to be okay because you're giving me the skills to breathe through it and doing these yoga classes too and so i feel not only physically really good but mentally i'm not nearly as nervous going into the labor and i'm just going to take each contraction as it comes and i'll either make it through with no epidural or not
0: yeah I mean you're you're so powerful in so many ways that you seem to really know yourself pretty well. And so, yeah. you know, I think you're up for a challenge. Childbirth is a challenge natural. No. I'm childbirth is, uh, you know, I've been to a lot of them. They, it always looks like you're climbing a big mountain, you know, something that a lot of people don't want to do or not really able to do. And we have options. So I think that right. you'll be very self-aware and know that, you know, this is intense, but I'm good for it, or yeah. this is starting to turn and I'm no longer into it. And then you'll have a million options on how yeah. you can uh, proceed from there. But I love working with actors because you take direction really well. So (laughs) (laughs) my ability to coach a little bit on how to surrender into something that's intense, it goes easier. And also I love working with uh, singers because your breath is so powerful. You know, breath is the portal of entry to taking over the automatic part of your nervous system that controls how is your heart beating? Do you feel fearful or do you feel right. safe and you can take that over even though you're feeling very intense things you can take that over with your breath by setting the tone and uh singers just have an even more pronounced way of doing that so yeah um you know I, you're powerful to begin with but you have all these extra skill sets so i think maybe even, hey. uh, even more prepped yeah for whatever i mean birth you want to have
1: you made me feel a lot more comfortable going into it because I had a lot of anxiety. I I would say to everyone who I talked to, my friends, like, "Oh, I'm just so worried about the pain. I'm so worried about the pain. And then talking to Sarah as well, Sarah Wright Olson, who I met you through her. She's just like a total warrior. She loves every aspect of pregnancy and labor. So yeah, talking to other women who've been through it and, you know, it's been really helpful. So I'm peaceful about however this goes down.
0: Well, I'm excited for you, you know, no matter how it goes, I know it'll be good. And I hope you'll come back on the other side and tell us how it went down and yeah. how, how you I'll
1: give you my birth story,
0: <laughs> your birth story and your early motherhood experience, um, but I can't end this podcast. I'm saving. I have a million more questions for you. I really barely scratched the surface, but I just think you're so interesting and easy to talk to. But there's two things I must talk about before we end this one. Number one, let's talk about lip sync battle.
1: Oh, Oh, God, that was fun. So actually, um, I think that, again, here's the realist in me. I think that somebody fell out. And it came really last minute and they came to me and said like, would Kat want to be a contestant? And I only had like two days to prepare and it was opposite Jason Derulo. And I was of course like, yes. And it was so (laughs) fun because I was doing Scorpion and I was dating the lead guy on the show, um, Elias, who I still love, but, um, We broke up for like the 12th time and it was very tumultuous relationship. And so we had just broken up and it was like, you know, I was so heartbroken every time we broke up and going to have that show to focus on for that day was like so thrilling. And um what else do you want to know about it? <laughs> I don't know.
0: Well, first of all, is that your choreography or did somebody
1: No, they had that? choreographers for the show and I thought it was pretty clever to use Jason Derulo's song because and he has so many great songs. But I will say my biggest disappointment from the show is that I won, right? That was the high, that wasn't a disappointment. I was so happy, especially like, you know, being in the middle of a breakup, right, to have okay just one lip sync battle, but they never sent me the belt, the freaking belt. No you know way. What
0: I- I'm going to get it for you. Well, have, can
1: you please? Because I
0: have, I have a sneaky little connection over there. I'm going to get it for you. And also I will tell you this. I kind of seem like somebody dropped out even from the observer. And I'll tell you why. Why? Because usually the two people being paired up have like some kind of relationship history right. and I was like yeah, no. yeah I was like I thought for sure it would be like you and Taylor Hicks yeah.
1: No, I had no connection to Jason, but he did give me his number. It was like a little flirty. Then, you know, oh, for sweet. like someone who's just going through a breakup, that's like the best thing <laughs> to happen.
0: But yeah, I'm going to get you that belt.
1: We exchanged numbers, but we never texted. So.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's just one of those other things where you're just look yeah. like, I'm comfortable. One would have thought you were prepping for months. Okay. Last question is about, you've kind of hinted to it a couple of times. But you have a new show coming out of Netflix, Country yeah. Comfort. What that's is right? the show about and what's your role?
1: Yes. So I play the role of Bailey, who is a struggling country artist. who's in a relationship with this guy long-term for like nine years. And they're in a band together and he decides to replace her with a blonde, young, little thing. And I mean, sitcom. Okay. So she's completely distraught. She gets in her car, she drives, her car breaks down. She lands in front of this ranch and she knocks on the door, and it's this house full of all these kids. And they think that she's the new nanny. And she's very confused. She's like, no, no, I just want to use your phone. It takes place in Nashville. I have a little Southern draw. Oh, um,
0: picture so it really.
1: It's really, really fun. And the great thing is, once again, another show that I get to like sing. And now in this case, I get to do some funny lines and comedy and long speeches and talk quickly and have a live audience. And it's kind of like um, our showrunner was an executive producer on The Nanny, which was with Fran oh, yeah yeah so she is our showrunner so she's kind of created this like the nanny meets the sound of music set in the world of nashville (laughs) and i just loved the script i didn't know it was going to be a a sitcom but i thought it was actually just gonna be like a half hour netflix six single camera thing also shot
0: in front of a live audience
1: yeah well we did the first four episodes
0: before the pandemic before
1: the whole yeah pandemic thing Yeah. So the last six episodes, we only did 10 episodes. We weren't able to do with an audience, but nonetheless, it's just been such a fun genre to kind of immerse myself in and also like be the star of the show and really just challenge myself in a way that I have never been challenged before.
0: I can't wait to see it. But I also think, I don't know, I'm guessing down the road, if you ever wanted to try, you would definitely do a great job at stand-up comedy as well. Oh, my
1: God. I mean, that's definitely something I think I would never, <laughs> never attempt. Oh. To. I don't
0: know. Never say never.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: Never say never. You're a great storyteller. You bring people into the story. And you. you have a great sense of humor. So I'm going I'm to do my best to drag you into one of our shows once we okay. get started again.
1: I, I mean, I'm down. <laughs>
0: Amazing, Kat. I've taken up a ton of some of your time. I love talking to you. I am very excited for you. I'm sending you the Thank
1: you. best
0: birthy mojo and juju that I have.
1: I might get to see you one more time before this baby pops out. So yes. I actually now feel like he's not going to come till like another week because I was having all these cramping and like the crazy lightning crotch, for lack of a better <laughs> term. And then this last weekend, it's been really kind of mellow. He's still moving like crazy in my belly, so I feel like maybe another week or so. But who knows so yeah.
0: lightning crotch is great for your first bit oh
1: god that would be good actually see it's oh, there's already this thing called lightning crotch
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right uh where can we find you online
1: oh um my instagram yeah yeah it's actually when i got married because i was like so you know i still am so traditional and in love with my husband it's actually katherine foster at handle
0: at katherine foster. foster
1: that's right i thanks. gave up the McPhee for instagram <laughs> oh
0: there's always McPhee inside and hope there's always hope in you
1: that's my middle name
0: i know that's what i found online too yeah. uh katherine hope McPhee foster thanks so much for joining us and at home thanks for listening to the informed pregnancy podcast if you'd like to find us online we're also on instagram at dr Berlin. it's D O C T O R B E R L I.
1: I got